0: Good morning. Good morning. I am not preaching today. Thad actually is. A number of us were here yesterday for the training that we did, my circle training on uh, reaching people with the gospel, evangelism. And for everybody who was here yesterday, I know we were certainly blessed by that. And uh, Thad will be sharing this morning and so thankful to have him up here in the pulpit. And um, this is something that we've been talking about more and more as a church and just having a heart to reach people with the gospel, to share the faith that we have with others, to make Jesus known. And so we're so excited again for this weekend and to have Thad with us today. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Um, Thad lives in the Holy Land, known as Ohio. Um, and um, and I, I'm sure he'll share a little bit more about himself, but uh, once again, Thad personally and on behalf of the church, we are so thankful. Uh, He and I have been talking for almost a year, Um, and again, so thankful for him and for the ministry that he does, Um, and so very appreciative, but let's pray for our time this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord, that you are the almighty and everlasting God, that you are almighty and eternal. Lord, may we eternally glorify you and Take delight in supreme joy that we have a glorious God, that we have a wonderful Savior in the Lord Jesus, Lord, that as sinful people who has died on the cross so that we can have eternal life, Lord, and may we believe in that and trust in that, Lord, and know that the gospel is true. Lord, we pray for Thad this morning as he shares. We pray that the words from your word, your most holy scripture, that will touch our hearts and minds, Lord, we want to also just pray for him in the ministry that he has Lord, we're going to pray for Thad as he travels back to Ohio today for safe travels for him. Lord, and again, we're just so thankful to have him with us today. All to your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good
1: morning. All right, here we go. Uh, It is a joy to be here with you guys today, and uh, Josh and I met actually on Facebook and uh, we were in part of the same pastor's forum sort of thing. And uh, he posted one day about, uh, hey, give me your best recommendations of some evangelism training stuff. And so uh, it was a joy just to kind of reach out and say, hey, let's do a Zoom call sometime and see if we could, uh, you know, work something out. I would love to serve you guys with that. So, uh, so my name is Thad and uh, Thad Bergmeyer. I work with ABWE International, uh, our North American um, kind of family of, of ministries, our North American team. Uh, is called Every Ethne, and we are really want to be on mission with the local church to reach all kinds of people groups that are here in North America, but also the, the health and capacity of churches. We want to just serve and be um, engaged in local churches. So this is good. I, I end up going speaking in a lot of different churches and being a, around a lot, and this is, uh, uh, it, it often feels like <clears throat> um, I end up in a lot of Baptist churches, And I know you guys aren't Baptists because not everyone's in the back. You guys are kind of spread out. This is good. It's kind of, I'm kind of impressed here. This is wonderful. Um, It was a joy to be with you guys yesterday and look forward to more conversations about that in the future. Uh, But I do want to kind of focus on God's word this morning in Mark chapter five. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. Mark chapter five. We, if you haven't realized it, the last two years has brought a lot of change into our world, right? There's a lot of, uh, um, if, if, in fact, I think if you were to summarize the last couple years, that word change would be kind of one of the keywords that would pop up in your radar, right? Change. Um, we know that we change or we die. That's just a reality of life. If we don't understand the concept of change, we often get ourselves in big trouble. Well, this morning, I want to talk about a concept of change, maybe the most important concept of change um, for us. And it's really simple, and we're going to summarize this passage in just three simple words. Are you ready for this? Jesus changes people. Do you believe that? Yes. Say it with me. Jesus Changes people. We see this all throughout the Gospels. I know you guys are studying the Gospel of John together as a church. We see this all over the place, but this morning there's in this passage in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus heals a very desperate man, we get this glimpse of a picture of how Jesus actually changes people. So just follow along as I read. We're just going to read and then kind of comment on some things and kind of point out some things for us this morning. In Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, "...they came to the other side of the sea, to the, to the country of the, of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stone. Stop there for a second. Let me set the context of this, of what's happening here. Jesus and his disciples are on the way to the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee, most likely to get away from the crowds. Jesus is tired, he's exhausted, and on the way, in this out of exhaustion, Jesus lays down in the boat and falls asleep. And you know the story. It takes place there at the end of Mark chapter 4. This great storm rises up, and these expert fishermen who are used to li- like working on that sea are scared. So they wake Jesus up. Jesus wakes up, calms the storm, rebukes the wind, and it stops. It's really one of the first things that we see here about Jesus, even in the context. And it's simply this that Jesus is always available to those in need. Jesus is always available to those in need. So even then he gets, um, um, even when he's in a boat on the way to get some rest away from the crowds, Jesus is available to his disciples in need. This launches us in, then into chapter five. Jesus steps onto the shore. He meets someone in incredible need. Mark and Luke, the gospel's tell us the story of this one man. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew actually says there was two men. This man in particular that Mark focuses on, he's an outcast. He's a a vagabond. Luke says that he is naked. Notice the other descriptions that we kind of just read through and talked about there um, real quick, that he lives among the tombs. People tried to bind him up, but he is too powerful. He's always crying out. The text says that he's constantly cutting himself with rocks, that he is possessed by this unclean spirit. In fact, multiple spirits. We'll see this in a second. And so I just want you to get the picture here, right? Jesus is trying to gets him alone time to rest, and the first thing that happens is he steps onto shore out of the boat, and this naked, multiple demon-possessed man who lives in the tombs comes running at him. Not sure how the chosen is going to represent this, right? In Matthew's account, uh, we're told that he is so fierce that no one could pass by him. It's probably why the townspeople had tried to bind him. He, he is a menace to their society. Um, most commentators think that he probably even controls that main path that leads from that small town there down to the Sea of Galilee. No doubt the people had, were scared of this man. I'm sure the stories were rampant. When I read this, I kind of have this, this in my mind. like It's the real-life version of Sandlot. Do you remember the old movie, Sandlot, about the little kids and baseball? And on the other side of the fence is this great beast. And all these mythical stories that go on, this crazy dog. And I think of this man, I can't help but to think that, imagine parents telling their kids, like, listen, when you go down to the Sea of Galilee to go down to your favorite swimming hole, you can't take that main path because crazy Joe lives down there. I apologize if your name is Joe. Joe. <laughs> And listen, we can we we can laugh and we can joke about it, but there's a reality that this man is in a very desperate situation. He is possessed by a demon who's controlling his life. People hate him. He is an outcast. If there was ever someone in need, it is this man, and Jesus steps onto shore and makes himself available to him. How about you? I mean, I doubt any of us are exactly like this man. I doubt any of us are possessed by legions of demons. Thankfully, none of you showed up today naked. That would have been awkward. You probably don't live among the tombs. But isn't even as we read and see his desperate situation, there, isn't there something in us that at some point in our life we, have, we can relate to him? There was or is maybe this deep need in us that in some way we have found ourselves in moments of desperation. There are times when we feel stuck by something maybe that we have done or or maybe something that someone has done to us. Maybe your desperation is found in some sort of sin habit that you just... man no matter how much you try, you just cannot break it. Maybe your desperation is found in a marriage that's just left you empty. And maybe your desperation is the realization that that the promises that the world has given to you isn't satisfying you like it promised. Maybe there's just this unsettledness that the more and more and more that you try to be spiritual, you realize it's never enough. Maybe there's a loneliness that you experienced that you never thought that you would experience. And we, friends, listen, we all face moments of desperation in our life. And I don't know what your specific one is, but I can tell you this, that when you realize your desperation, the best thing that you can do is to run to Jesus and follow this man's example. Look at verse six. It says, when he saw Jesus from afar A great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission and the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Uh, really quick, one textual thing that we may that we need to point out here—it's really important for us—is that once this man shows up to Jesus, we have no reason to think that whoever uh, uh, um, uh, uh, that the demons are the ones that are speaking to Jesus. At this point, the questions that are asked are not from the man, they're from the demons that possess him. Now, there's a lot of things that we could go into detail here that teach us about the demonic world um, believes about Jesus. We don't have time to go into all of that, but don't miss the reality of this one really critical point. They know who Jesus is, right? These demons address him as the son of the most high God in verse seven. They even know the outcome In fact, Matthew chapter 8, the parallel passage to to this, the demons actually say these words. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Like they know that they're playing for the losing team. They know what is going to happen. They know the result of the game. But there's, there's something else that the demons know that we often forget. They know the authority that Jesus possesses. They know that Jesus can do to them whatever he desires to do. They know that they are no match for Jesus. This is when a herd of pigs is brought into the story because the demons bring this herd of pigs into the story. They know what Jesus is about to do. And because they know that Jesus is about to free this man by casting them out, they ask to be sent into the pigs. Now, there's a lot of speculation about why these pigs, why are the demons asking to go into the pigs? And I think that the obvious answer is that they're looking to destroy good bacon, (laughs) right? I mean, I've been here two days. I've been to the humble hog twice, I mean, all the bacon lovers, they read this text and they get a little tear that drips down their eyes like, whoa. No, in all seriousness, I'm not exactly certain why the demons want to be sent to the pigs, except maybe this. Since the demons know that Jesus has the authority to do whatever he wants to do with them. And we know that demons are here primarily to cause chaos and hatred for the things of God. Maybe this is one final effort to destroy and create animosity towards Jesus and his ministry. Now listen, it can be easy to be distracted with the pigs. But please don't miss the main thing that we see about Jesus here. Not only is Jesus always available to those in need, but if you want to make a second main point, here it is that Jesus is more powerful than any possible need. That he's more powerful than any possible need. There, friends, listen, there is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that has ever been done to you that Jesus is not more powerful than. There's no power, there's no person, there's no situation, there is, there is nothing that has the ability to control you if you simply run to Jesus and bow before him. That's what this man does. He bows before the one who has the power to help. Now listen, not long after this account, the enemy of God is going to throw everything that he can at Jesus. He's going to convince Jesus' closest followers to betray him. He's going to lead a mass of people to hate Jesus to the point of nailing him upon a cross like the worst of sinners. And in that moment, the enemy of God thinks that maybe he can win by killing Jesus. But the irony of that whole situation is that when Jesus is placed upon the cross, when the enemy of God thinks that he has won, he misses the big picture of how Jesus' shed blood is crucial to God's larger story of covering the sins of humanity. And then you know what happens. Jesus is laid in what? A tomb. Friends, listen. The healing of this man who lived in the tombs is only possible because Jesus was laid in a tomb and didn't stay there. Like the power of the resurrection It's real and it's crucial for any changed life that Jesus overcomes sin and death by rising from the dead and now he stands here today with the power to change your life. So whatever bondage you may feel from that sin that just is in shackling you, Jesus can release you from its grip. Whatever hurt you feel by something that someone has done to you, the forgiveness of Jesus enables you to forgive others. Whatever loneliness that you may experience, Jesus steps in and says, I promise I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Whatever feelings that you may have about not being good enough or that you've maybe committed some unpardonable sin, Jesus extends grace and forgiveness to release you from your efforts of self-righteousness. Um, Josh, you're going to learn this someday, man. Your son is going to hear you preach more than any other person. Um, I pastored for 18 years, and then five years ago... Or a little over that now. Made the transition to work with this missions agency. <clears throat> my kids, I have three kids. My kids have heard me preach more than any other people. Not just at home, but they're there every time that I'm there. At church, right? And, and there's something about being a pastor and a dad that you want your kids to listen, Right? One day I came into my oldest son's room. He was 16 at the time. And I saw that he had written something that I had said in a sermon. He had quoted me, written it on a piece of paper, and stuck it to his wall above his bed. I'm like, Lord, you can get, come right now. Like, it's over. Like, it's not going to get any better than this, right? Like, this is, whew, man. You know what he wrote down? He quoted me as saying this in one of my sermons. No matter how many stupid things that you have done in your life, you are never outside the reach of the grace of God. i got to tell you guys, man, amen and amen and amen. And I believe that more today than I ever have believed that. And then as a father, I thought, well, what stupid things have you done? <laughs> Don't you want to know, Right? please don't miss the point. There's nothing that you have done that's outside the reach of the grace of Jesus. He is available and he's powerful enough to change you. All that needs to happen is to run to him and fall at his feet like this man. It is faith in Jesus alone that saves. Jesus changed this man in in remarkable ways. Look what happens next. Verse 14. Says the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. and when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, listen to this, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus. To depart from their region. So the herdsmen, what they do, they run into town, tell the people what had happened. People of town come out to find the man sitting with Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They come to witness something that they had never seen before. This man has been changed. It is the most important part of the story. The demons are gone. Jesus takes care of the man's problem. Are we good? Don't miss that in Jesus changing this man, he shows the value of human life. What do I mean? Which is more important? This man or 2,000 pigs? Let's not forget that this man was stripped of his dignity. He was living in a graveyard. He was often chained up as a st- some prisoner, which he would break. He used stones to cut himself. He was naked. He was avoided. He did not feel value. But in this miracle, Jesus shows him you're valuable to me. More valuable than the livelihood of an entire community. What do I mean? Well, verse fifteen says that they were afraid. In verse seventeen. Uh, says that they began to beg Jesus to leave the region. I think maybe they didn't want Jesus around. I think maybe for one of two possible reasons. First, I think that they were angry at the loss of their pigs. Again, this is an agrarian society in which animals are the lifeblood of your town. Probably something you can relate to. Losing 2,000 pigs could cripple this town. And unlike Jesus, who valued the man over the pigs, these townspeople preferred to have their swine than the changed life of this man. Friends, let's take note of that. What what would we openly share with open hands for the Lord to use to see fit for the salvation of one person? Yes, I believe that the townspeople wanted Jesus To leave because of Las Vegas, but honestly, I think they were scared of his power. Think about this here's a man that they had tried to control so often, and he would break the chains. This man is uncontrollable to them, and all of a sudden, this new man, Jesus, walks onto shore and, with the power of his words, subdues the one who was out of control. So in verse 15, when they show up and they see the man sitting there clothed in his right mind, it says, they were afraid. Why? Whatever power is greater than Crazy Joe's power, I don't want to be around that. Because being in the presence of greatness scares us. Truly is an amazing story. Jesus is available for the man in need and has power to change this man's life, and now everything is different. And what do you suppose the man wants, right? What do you suppose the man wants to do? Who do you think this man wants to be around? He wants to follow Jesus. But Jesus has other plans. Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Of course. Of course, this is good gospel truth. Jesus changes you and you want to follow him, right? I just picture this scenario. These townspeople are begging Jesus to leave. So Jesus and the disciples, they walk back down, they get in the boat. This guy is following them. I kind of have this picture in my mind. I don't know, it's probably, I don't know if it's true or not, but, but he's got like one leg over the side of the boat, like, hey, I'm coming too, Right? This isn't Jesus' plan. Listen really closely, okay? For this man, um, Jesus was available. For this man, Jesus is more powerful than any need that he had. And then are you ready for this? Jesus sends changed people to those in need. Jesus sends changed people to those in need. Please do not miss this. Following Jesus, for this man was not getting in the boat, but taking the message of his transformation back to those who are still in need. Look at verse 19, what it says. And it says that Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And it says, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Why does Jesus send the man back? Because Jesus is not done with that community. That's why. Jesus wants to change more lives through the life of the one that he changed. Note that Jesus is still in the business of changing lives, and he uses people as a part of links in the chain to see others changed. This is what we talked about yesterday. If you were with us yesterday, you, um, um, we we kind of walked through in about four, four and a half, five hours a process through which you can be sent back and take this message to others. If you weren't with us yesterday, let me give you in five minutes what we did in five hours. Okay, all those that are here for five hours, are like, hold on a second. What do we get? I think that being on the mission Jesus has for you is for you to think differently about everything that you're already doing. So let me just give you just the four kind of outcomes of the My Circle training that I think will propel you into your community because I believe that Jesus isn't done with his community. First is this. Just identify your circle of influence Identify your circle of influence. Who are the people that God has already brought into your life who need to be changed, who do not know him? Think about where you live and where you learn and where you work and where you play. Who do you already know? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's the person at the Humble Hog that you go to all the time, right? And you know them, right? Maybe it's the guy in the, the farmer next door to you. Maybe it's the the guy in the cubicle next to you. Maybe it's the mom at the park that you see all all month long all summer long, identify your circle of influence. This is a really important step and write their names down. Number two, pray daily for one unbeliever. Make a commitment that you're gonna say, hey, I'm just gonna start small and I'm just gonna pray for one person a day that's in my circle of influence. Less than 30 seconds, less than one minute of your day. Um, I have a prayer app on my phone that reminds me every day at 9 a.m. to pray. I click on it, look who's on my list, and pray for them. I pray for their standing before God. I pray that God would open their eyes to see Jesus clearly. I pray that God would use me as a link in the chain to see them come to faith. I pray for eyes to see opportunities for open doors and for boldness to walk through those doors. I pray that God would save them. Three, engage practically one time a week. I'm gonna be very intentional with the people I'm praying for and I'm gonna walk in and serve them and help them and be around them. Um, As I do trainings at churches, this is one of the hardest things for people, for I think for Christians to do, is to be around unsaved people and not be weird. Like just be yourself, be who, now I guess if you're weird, then normally, then I guess be weird with your unbelieving friends, right? But just be you. Fourthly, share your grace story once a month. Make a commitment that you're going to share. You're going to talk about Jesus, how Jesus has transformed you one time a month with those that are in your circle. Tell others how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. Follow the instruction that Jesus gives to this man in verse 19 to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Well, how did it work out for this man? We are told in verse 20, right, that he goes back to his people. He goes back and he proclaims in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And it says, everyone marveled. It's one thing to marvel. It's another thing to believe in Jesus, how do we know for certain? Well, we might not know for certain, and this might be reading a little bit into the white spaces of the text, but do you see in verse 20 where it says, where did he proclaim? It's in the Decapolis. This is a region on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Now flip over in Mark chapter seven, okay? Just flip over about two pages, Mark chapter seven in verse 31. Because Jesus leaves that area, and then later on, he returns back into the same region. Verse 31, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. You Ready for this? And they brought to him a man who was deaf. And had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched the tongue, and looking up to heaven, and sighed, and began to uh, say to him, um that is, be opened, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all these things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And then in chapter eight, in those days, and most commentators believe this happened in that same region, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said, now we have the feeding of the 4,000. Let me ask you a question. What changed in this region from the people begging Jesus to leave to them, to when Jesus shows back up again, they're flocking to him? I think there's only one plausible explanation it's the impact. Of one changed life. One person who gets serious about their faith. One person who says, Man, I'm going to go tell everyone how much Jesus has had mercy on my life. One person who says, I can't wait to tell everyone, all the people that I know, about the grace of God. It only takes one to light a community on fire. It takes one to change a town. God can change this area with one person, with hands open, saying, Lord, use me to make a dent into the darkness of our community. Who is that one person here? Maybe there are many of you who desire to be that one. Jesus, friends, Jesus changes your life so that you would share that change with others. He has sent us all out on a mission. Let's go. There's no time to waste. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite old dead preachers, he said this. He says, all are not called to be ministers. All are not intended to preach, but all can walk in the steps of the man of whom we've been reading. Happy is he who is not ashamed to say to others, come and hear what the Lord hath done for my soul. No doubt Jesus has changed most of you. Maybe there's some that he wants to change today. There's others where you live, work, and play that he wants to change. And my prayer for you is that you would allow him to use you as a change agent in the community in which you live. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray for these dear people that you would use them, Lord, to take the gospel, to take this message of hope to those in their community. Lord, maybe there's someone here today that just, like, you're working and you need to change them today. Lord, maybe there's people um, that know friends and family that they need to go to and, and share about the mercy of God. I pray that you would move them, that you would open hearts today. Lord, we love you. Thanks for this time around your word. In Christ's name, amen.